When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can seem intense. Like breakup R&B intense. I thought you said you loved the sweater that I got you. If you didn't, you could have told me. Geico makes it easy. Just go to Geico.com anytime to update or check your policy without all the extra drama. I even had a gift receipt. Welcome to the Out of Limits of Minute Truth Radio Show. Two-year anniversary! This is exciting. For those of you who are listening right now who partic- who participated in our live show, that show is completely different. That's gonna actually going to be found on the Outer Limits website. This is a completely different show where we're actually going to go through some of the shows that we covered this past year, our second year, and tell you about which ones we thought were really significant, which ones that you responded uh, very favorably to. also want to give you a heads up that we spent a considerable amount of time researching people for this program we love to always find cutting edge teachers so if there's someone that you find that offers a perspective not out there or something really significant and very important we'd love to hear about it Um, the show is on a trajectory right now where we still want to go after cutting edge teachers and finding people who can help others open hidden doors within themselves so to bring up the speed where we are our very first year, we had about 30 listens the very first month. And where we are right now, we're hovering around 12,000 downloads. And in addition to that, we're on Starcom Radio Network, about 35 stations. So we have a really strong audience. I want to thank all of you for that. And I also want to acknowledge right now that this show could not be possible without the unbelievable devotion and dedication of our virtues we're going to play some music right now. Let's get some music going. And they are Miss Carrie O'Connor, Psychic Medium. You learn more about Miss O'Connor by going to her website at carrieoconnor.com. Then we have the Astrophenom, our astrologer, Miss Constantellis. Learn more about her by going to her website at constantellis.com. And of course, we have Past Life Reader, Miss Laura Lynn. And you can learn more about her by going to her website at angelreader.net. And of course, Miss Lisa Kaza. Go to her website at lisakaza.com. These four dedicated individuals are always offering insight. And I think it's really interesting and amazing when we record their interviews separately and we play them all together. And it turns out that they have similar perspective and insights on people. Here's one example of that happening. It's when we did the forensic soul analysis on the Walking Dead novelist, Jay Bonazinga. And we had Laura Lynn do a soul analysis, and we had Lisa Kaza do the soul analysis, and they both concluded that Mr. Bonazinga was Edgar Allan Poe. Lisa Kaza didn't say it right away. It was when we were playing it afterwards that she was able to identify it. But here are the two analyses that were done separately. Here's the first one is Laura Lynn. What a fascinating man. He is, I, I really was uh, exhilarated actually listening to his his commentary to you and his interview. And when I went into meditation, I was really struck quickly by the fact that I found myself speaking to a soul aspect that I was very familiar with um, through some books that I read in the past from a man named Edgar Allan Poe. And you know, Ryan, I've done, I don't know how many interviews, you know that with you, and you understand that I generally do not get into who, but about more about why or what the process was with a past life. That's what usually comes to me, but I got direct hit to Edgar Allan Poe. So you you got a direct hit, which means that what, that uh, Jay is a a relative of Edgar Allan Poe? No, I would say that he was, uh, he was, he was him. Wow. Yes. And, um, you know, he just had to come back. He had to come back. He he enjoyed his life. He... And here is the clip of Miss Lisa Kaza. No, he's not a new soul. Okay. He's, no, 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 not new to writing. Okay. 
Okay, he's new to writing, but uh, he's definitely not a new soul. He's a very old soul, but but new to to writing. Like this would be his first. If it's not his first lifetime as as a writer, it's his second. But no more than that is what I meant. And that was Miss Lisa Kaza. We're gonna play a clip right now of Miss Constance Dallas, the Astro Phenom, talking about her chart reading for 2016. I thought she touched upon some really interesting points. As far as this conflict between Neptune and the other folks, uh, the Saturn. Saturn. Doesn't there get to a point where only one can theoretically exist on the Earth plane at one time? Because one is all about control and one is all about freedom. One cannot exist. It seems like neither can exist. And you're talking about this walls of reality crashing down and this dream state being interrupted. I mean, if you think about what could potentially wake someone up immediately from a dream state, I think the, the like the, the economy, you know, the yeah, having an economic yeah. crash or something yeah. that would shatter because that affects everyone. Yeah. But are there other awakenings right now? Do you feel that it is a yes, an awakening? There are, absolutely. Of, of For example, let's look at the children being born right now in the in the in this year in the next couple of years. Um, these children are hardwired to by by virtue of their spirit right now, the one the the souls that are incarnating now to exist within the spiritual plane and the realistic plane rather comfortably. It's other people who are more um, wedded or attached to one or the other that have the, the controversy. So a little while ago, a couple of years ago, there was a movie made about um, indigo children. That was the name given to them. Children who are born with um, what we call extrasensory perception, with very refined sensibilities, um, the ability to communicate uh, with other people over when you're not physically in the same space. And um, these qualities will be, uh, I think, not just in 2016, but as we move into the future, um, the way the planet will evolve. And these kids will be the leaders. Um, the way they lead will be quite different uh, than leadership before. And that was Miss Constance Dallas. I thought one of our uh, more fascinating shows we did this year was the forensic soul analysis on Gaia, the spirit of Earth. And here is a clip right now of Miss Carrie O'Connor presenting her soul reading on Gaia. Gaia, the spirit of Earth, is a very highly evolved soul that's on our own evolutionary path and process. And we have a sacred agreement as humanity to come down in physical form to have this experience, physical experiences to see, feel, sense, touch. And we do it very differently when we're on the physical plane. So she is such a highly evolved soul, Ryan, that uh, to allow us to, again, have this um, experience, it just shows how... Um, how evolved she is and she is so giving she's here to teach us abundance she's here to teach us love balancing giving and receiving and she's also giving us a sacred playground for us to really be able to get out of linear thinking into this past present future time all of those those things she's a beautiful beautiful soul she's open to everybody to speak to and she will talk to you you could get a tune and talk to the trees. You could talk to the wind. She's in communication with everything, and she considers all of us her children, and that means the mountains, the rocks, the trees, and humanity. She doesn't see a hierarchical um, view of the humanity being higher than the rocks and the trees and the mountains, and a lot of people don't realize that. At some point in time, I guess in earlier years, there were individuals who were discussing or saying that Gaia would one day retaliate against humanity for some of the things that humanity was doing to the planet whether it be you know, mistreating the environment or treating the animals pretty horrifically. Okay. Have you ever come across or sense Gaia being upset or angry with humanity or wanting to take some kind of action against humanity for these actions? I see it, Ryan, but it's, there's, Gaia is so evolved that there's no emotion in mind of it. I've seen her do this image where it looks like she shakes an area of herself. It's almost like a dog scratching fleas, right? And the way we would experience the physical world is a huge tsunami or earthquake, right? 
but she's not doing it in this vengeance of, I'm going to get you back because you hurt the animals. She really is all about homeostasis, all about balance. And so when one part of her is off balance, she will, she's going to correct it. That's the way it is. And that was Miss Carrie O'Connor. This year, we actually did a forensic soul analysis on every one of the virtues. So we had psychics and astrologers analyzing our very own psychics and astrologers. I thought that was very fascinating. Some of the shows we're going to focus on in our second year, one of the ones that I thought stood out was the special that we did on Jesus Christ. We did a metaphysical soul analysis on Jesus, and we had 15 teachers analyze him, analyze his past lives, analyze his energy. And Peter Woodbury from the Edgar Casey Foundation was one of the presenters. He said that Jesus' crucifixion and his pain and suffering was a direct result of uh, actions that he had committed in previous lifetimes where he himself was the aggressor. I thought that was really compelling and fascinating. We didn't have anyone to really challenge him on that. And throughout the course of that show, we had Dr. Jill Allen Wexler. She's a brainwave specialist. And for the first time ever, she was able to bring to public knowledge what Jesus's brainwave frequencies were and why they were so important. And we're going to play that interview right now. Ms. Wexler, thank you so much for being with us today. And what can you tell us about Jesus Christ on the brainwave level frequency? Well, that's a really, really exciting question because I, I really am not aware of anyone else that has really addressed that question. And um, I think that the best way to approach this would be to take a, a careful look at what the, what the brain is, what brainwave frequency means, and level of vibration, how it all ties together because people like Jesus, Buddha, a few other religious leaders definitely had a full deck of cards. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. They, they were obviously operating differently and had a, a different look than all the people that were around them at this time. So uh, what makes Well, the Jesus funny thing is they were operating differently, and yet they were operating in a very similar manner because the brain structure that is basically – it's a physical structure that is designed to operate in a way. But in terms of how well it operates, it's like comparing a, a Porsche to a 30-year-old Chevy. You know, they both operate, but boy, oh, boy, is there a difference. Make a difference. So I, I'd like you know, talk about level of vibration. You know, what made people like Jesus and Buddha and, and other religious leaders and and even philosophical leaders, so darn different. And you know what it comes down to? It comes down to their level of vibration. Now, you might wonder immediately, well, what do you mean level of vibration? A lot of people, although they are aware that science is telling us things about vibration, they don't really get it. Now, science today has absolute evidence that everything I mean, everything right down to rocks is basically composed of molecules and subatomic parts that are basically energy in motion. And that motion is vibratory motion. Anything in motion sets up a vibration. I mean, think about it like this. Have you ever thrown a, a pebble in a pond and you noticed how it ripples out? They speak, and those ripples are levels of vibration in the water that was created by that event, which is a pebble was dropped into the water, and then rings of vibratory energy move outward. That's the basic rule of life. That's what's happening around here. So the brain of Jesus, the brain of, the brain of any really masterful being, is operating on a different level of vibration than normal beings. Certainly a different level of vibration than a rock, certainly a different level of vibration than a fellow living on the street and is so stressed he doesn't know where his next nickel's coming from, and certainly even a, a different level of vibration that uh, a brilliant engineer would have. Um, so we're, we're really, we're talking about physical reality here. The brain might be the same, but the level that it's operating on is way different. Do you follow me? Yes, and also 
as far as the vibrational frequency, is there a max to how high a spiritual being a being can be vibrating and yet sustain the um, stability of a physical body? Can a spirit be vibrating too high and and be able to not function in the spiritual body? In a well, physical boy, body? that's that is a really that's a really interesting question, and I think that we'll get to that as we we, we travel through the, the conversation today, because for sure there are things that vibrate at such a high level that they are quote invisible unquote to us, and the reason for that is that our visual system has been designed by nature to see within a certain level of frequency, and it does not see. Uh, example to the left there are frequencies we don't see they're too slow to the right there are frequencies that are too fast we don't perceive them but it's still there it's still happening for example if you look at the wall in front of you chances are it looks solid doesn't it and chances are you don't foresee that you could put your hand through that wall because you mentally see that wall as a solid mass and to you, it is vibrating so slowly, it is solid. Just as your body, when you look at your body, if you are an ordinary being, it looks pretty darn solid, doesn't it? But if you had the ability to relax your vision, step back and allow yourself to really see your body, you would see it is a collection of cells vibrate at a high intensity, and there is a level of energy that is radiating outward, just like heat radiates out from the stove, and that's the aura. The body is a very alive, vibratory being, and the same was true of the body of Jesus, same was true of the body of Buddha, except that their level of vibration of their thoughts was occurring on a higher level than most of us have managed to achieve. Now, on the other hand, we may in a moment of insight, religious ecstasy, uh, perhaps an aha, reach that for a second. Bang. I mean, I've had a few seconds in my life where I had that transformational experience where everything, you can, you can virtually look through a wall. You can look through the ceiling and see the sky. You can look at your body and see it as energy and then bang, it's gone. Now, I would definitely expect that someone of the vibratory level of Jesus or Buddha probably lived in that you know, area of expertise constantly. Something else that happened in the course of our second year of the show is that we started getting bigger and more visible teachers so I'm very honored that we were able to have Mr. Jim Rogers. Jim Rogers is a legendary investor. He's somebody who founded the Quantum Fund. The market lives or dies based on whether or not he gives a prediction. I mean, he really is a, he's a very powerful guy. He's a very nice guy, too. And I've been in contact with him for a number of years prior to starting the show. And he was kind enough to come on. I was so thankful for his time because I felt that he was very sincere and he offered advice that went far beyond investing. He was really out there to say that life's about an excitement. And we're going to play a clip from that interview right now. Jim, in your book, A Gift to My Children, you say there are two ways of thinking. And you say about, you know, about life and investing. One is to draw conclusions from your observations. And the other one is to proceed solely on the basic of logic. I wanted to know if there was a third aspect to that in terms of going with your gut, how, when do you know when is a right opportunity to go with your gut and supersede those two ways of thinking? Well, there are people that, that have uh, remarkable instincts. I know some people in the market who uh, really just have astonishing trading instincts, what I call trading instincts. They, they know when to buy and know when to sell. They may not know anything about what they're buying and selling. I, I worked with people like that. I wish I wish to goodness I'd gotten that that natural instinct. So yes, you can go with your gut if you have the right gut. Uh, I don't. Uh, I don't. I have to work at it harder than those guys. But if you have that instinct, sure. Do it. Wow. But but you should uh, you should 
you should test it a few times. Make sure you're right. <laughs> Just going with your gut and then losing losing everything will not be a good experience. I'd say I'm, I'm so surprised to hear you say that. And I want to actually lose into the next question is that based on your world's experiences and the things that you've encountered, what kind of pattern and rhythmic rhythm do you have for making these accurate predictions on investing? Because you've done it for so well for so long, and how what what the, what is your methodology for doing it? What is your bare bones methodology? Not not that maybe the secrets, but some of the some of the foundations for how you're able to accurately make investments that that pay off big time. Well, I guess in my case, it's just a a, a lot of fascination with the world around me, and I have developed or inherited or something the ability to observe what I'm seeing. You know, if you just walk down the street and see the sun is out and have a good time and whistle along the way, that's fine. But I, for whatever reason, have developed the ability as I go down the street to see, ah, you see what's happening over there? That probably has some significance. And I should experience that significance. I mean, if you walk down the street and you see a long line in front of a store, go figure out why they're there and then figure out the implications. Ah, whatever that product is or whatever that company is, is going may have a good future. And so develop it. Don't just say, ah, there's another line. I don't want to get in that line or who cares or whatever. Pursue what is going on around you. I certainly miss many things, but over the years I have been able to pick up some things that give me a, an indication of the future. And, and, and going around the world, I certainly experienced that a lot of times. So you're saying that by, um, I mean, there was one actually one of your chapters in your book saying, don't read books, see the world. So do you feel that by all of your worldly experiences, by taking as many experiences as possible, that will ultimately open your perception to predicting, engaging future events and uh, things that are happening in the market? Well, there's no question about that. Experiencing life is better than reading about life, and reading about life is also better than doing nothing except sitting around just uh, going along oblivious yep. to what's going on around you. One of your um, interesting, I think, one of your more interesting predictions is that you say that farmers of today will be driving Lamborghinis for tomorrow, so become friends with farmers and work in farming. So, if you are an individual who does not want to work in the field, does not want to toil in the farmland, how do you um, get involved in farming if you don't want to do the, the hard labor? Well, there are lots of ways to get involved. If if the farmers are going to have the money, then you could open, if you like cooking, open a restaurant in the farm area. Uh, if you like selling, open a shop. You can, you can, you can go into the seed business or the uh, tractor business or the fertilizer business. Or lake houses, buy lake houses in the agricultural area instead of areas that are not going to be so so prosperous. You can participate by following your own loves and passions because the farmers, when the agricultural areas have a lot of money, it's going to be a lot easier for you to do anything in those areas, including having radio shows, than it is in other areas where people are not so prosperous. And that was Mr. Jim Rogers. The most popular show that we did in our second year was the Soul Analysis, an interview with Mr. George Norrie, the host of Coast to Coast AM, which is the nation's largest, most popular paranormal radio show. I've listened to Coast to Coast, I don't know how many thousands of times, and to hear George Norrie, to hear someone I you know, grew up and admired and respected so much, and to have one day know that he would be on this show, again, it was one of those surreal moments. He was so nice and so professional, and he gave us a lot of insight as far as what mate, what drives him. Here's an excerpt from that show. But no, Let's talk about your life. When was the moment when you were a kid that you looked up in the sky and then you realized that this was something you wanted to do? Like, What was your, what were some of the, the, the biggest pivotal moments of your life that really it sparked your intrigue in the, in the paranormal and UFOs? A couple things happened with me. When I was 11 years old, I had an unknown out-of-body experience. I was bouncing against the wall looking at my little body, and it slammed me back down in my uh, body. And I you know, went to the library. We didn't have computers then. And I, I was able to find out that I had an out-of-body experience, something very strange. And then, you know, my mother would bring me home books of uh, 
you know, extraterrestrials. Uh, Walter Sullivan, who was the New York Times science writer at the time, wrote a book called We Are Not Alone. Mom brought me home that. I love that. Uh, then they bought me a telescope, and that set me on my path. I mean, I looked at little Saturn. I found Saturn up there, wow. and you could actually see the rings of Saturn with this little three-inch telescope, three-inch being the lens. And I was just mesmerized. So I just put it all together. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to do space and science and strange things. And well, we say you're looking at space today. Mesmerized by it. We, we you um, did that kind of spark your passion for extraterrestrial life. I really want to know like where where the passion for seeking out UFOs and extraterrestrial life comes in. When Look Magazine wrote a story called The Interrupted Journey about the Barney and Betty Hill abduction case, they were from New Hampshire. That did it. I mean, I was hooked on that. And uh, strangely, when I was 21 years old, a radio reporter in Detroit, one of my first interviews dealt with UFOs. Uh, I even contacted their psychiatrist about their case. His name was Benjamin Simon out of Boston and uh, interviewed him. 21 years old. And, you know, we chatted about extraterrestrial life and things like that. Uh, I asked him specifically if their case in his mind was real, and he said they believe it's real. They're not lying because they believe this happened to them. And he said, far be it for me to say it did not. Um, and I just love that. So I would, as a young reporter, I would intersperse real coverage of real stories, news stories, with the unusual stories. And then as I got older, I became a news director and a television executive. Uh, I began to have the control to set my own destiny. And then in 1996, when I started doing talk radio, uh, that was it. I mean, I decided I wanted to do all this. And I remember my program director at Camo X in uh, St. Louis came up to me, Tom Langbeier, who, who will tell this story to people as well. He called me into his office, and I had been doing some fill-in talk radio. And my guests were all UFO, UFO people and ghost people and stuff like that. And he called me in and said, George, there is no future for you doing these kinds of shows. It just won't happen. And uh, today he tells everybody at radio conferences, biggest mistake of his life was telling me that. <laughs> well, obviously – Led to something. I mean, led to something very big. Now, from the time that you were a kid to where you are now, and all of your years of reporting and investigating, what are some of the maybe the top three or top four biggest revelations that you have concluded about extraterrestrials and UFOs? Uh, the work of Eric Von Donikin, Chariots of the Gods, the works of Zacharias Sitchin the 12th planet, the fact that he believes we were visited by the Anunnaki and genetically seeded. I would say that those two cases, uh, those two individuals have had an astounding effect on my career in terms of what they have done. I was just with Eric Von Donikin at an event called Contact in the Desert in Joshua Tree, California, and we had a chance to talk. Uh, and it's amazing for me as a boy and as a youth to be able to read their works and then later on in life, like now, interview them and have them on my show and uh, interact with them. It's really quite a spectacular feeling. But um, those people, Stanton Friedman, he's another one. Those people had a great influence in me in terms of what I wanted to do in the field of ufology. And that was Mr. George Norrie. I don't know who you are, Who's listening right now, where you're from, but I want you to know that on behalf of all the virtues, we love you. We love you. We really do wish a peace upon you, and we're thinking about you before we begin each new program. We're always looking to figure out a way of how each show is going to help you and to help you grow or to help you heal or to help you find another door from within you to further expand your consciousness, further expand your freedom and further expand your own curiosity there are a couple shows that have really stood out in our second year and i believe that one of them was the interview we did with miss mary manu cherry she discussed how each 
human body part within us it's its own consciousness and we're going to take a quick excerpt from that interview right now explore the idea that various parts of the body are their own consciousness and if they're their own consciousness do you think that there's a possibility that a liver or a heart or a um, various vital organ could have positive and negative attributes and sometimes when we look at say why people get sick do you think the sickness can be drawn to the person based on the person's own consciousness or could it be something that has to do with the consciousness and aspects directly pertaining to that liver like could that liver be coming in as a conscious being with maybe some uh, negative aspects or negative trajectories in its evolution that the liver could actually go and that could be the prime reason yeah, I think yes to both of those questions. I think that okay. we are so magnificent. I think souls are so profound, so intelligent, so wise. And I believe that we choose when we come to Earth and we choose even our family dynamics and that there are things that we want to learn, of course, have great experiences here in the human world, like having sex or watching a beautiful sunset or learning how to ride a bike or learning something amazing in academia, you know, like we want to have incredible experiences, and, and we also know that there are things we want to learn, and this is the contractual planet, and that a disease is a gift, just like a divorce or bankruptcy or any of those things. And, and those are hard things for people to ingest, especially if they're sick or a loved one is. Right. How does one align their body to be in the best flow of energy? Because you talked about free-flowing energy can release pain, can release disease, so... When you're working with someone, what are some of the steps that they can do to you know, help their body? A great question. Well, first and foremost, I believe people heal themselves, even though I, I love and vibrate with the word healer. It's a word that touches my heart very deeply. I believe people heal themselves, and they create their life. And so first and foremost, we have to get that you know, into a person, that they're really powerful, and not in the old sense of power, but in the new sense of power, which, is, which means to be vulnerable, you know, to really know yourself there, there has to be this intimate relationship with yourself where you're willing to, like I said earlier, embrace things that you've decided are failures or shortcomings or negativities about yourself, to really love those parts of yourself unconditionally, just like creation does. I think doing that starts to shift the molecular structure inside the human being. And one of the ways that I, I do myself and I um, recommend for other people is to start having positive, loving dialogue with yourself. So in order to get in that zone, that vibrational zone, what you might want to do uh, or what I typically recommend is to think of something you do unconditionally love, like maybe trees, for one. one you know, when you mention nature, you know, how beautiful that is. It could be another human being, a child, a pet, um, anything, be anything, maybe someone is in love with art. And so you move into that frequency, you, you remember that feeling that you have for that other thing, and, and you'll notice your vibration shifting just by feeling love for something. And then you transfer that love into yourself, and then you start having that nice conversations with yourself. So you could be in line at your favorite coffee shop, and no one's going to know that you're in your head going, baby, I love you. You're an amazing and dynamic being. I'm so proud of you, and I'm just grateful you know, that you are here right now on this planet enjoying your life or whatever. I just think that internal dialogue that's compassionate and kind needs to be a big part of the human consciousness because most human beings vibrate in very negative, self-critical, self-loathing energy. And it's, it's epidemic, actually. In fact, for a lot of people, it's not even conscious for them. I think for a lot of spiritually aware people, they do have the consciousness of their self-criticism, but they don't exactly know what to do about it or to recognize that being ego does not mean loving yourself. It's not what Webster's Dictionary describes at all. And, um, and so, yeah, I think that that's a great way where people can start to heighten their vibration. You get your molecules spinning at a faster rate, with a lot more frequency and vibration, you start cleaning out stagnant energy just by being kind and loving to yourself. So that, first and foremost, prevents disease because you start releasing stagnation. It allows you to deal with things that maybe have been blockages or barriers for you because they will gently come up into your awareness and you'll be able to love and appreciate and value yourself. Uh, yeah, so that's what I think can make a big difference for human beings. And that was Ms. Marie Maticherry. Because the Outer Limits of Energy Truth Radio Show has no ideology, knows no boundaries, we can take the show anywhere we want to go. And as a result of that, I think that one show stood out this year as being very unusual 
And that was the sole analysis on the American hit TV series Family Guy. We actually were able to interview a couple of actors and even an executive producer on that show that revealed a deeper side of the show that I don't think anyone ever knew about. So here is a listen to the interview that we did with Alex Sulkin, who ironically plays Jesus on the hit TV series Family Guy. Okay. And Family Guy has been known to take a lot of uh, humorous approaches to things that are particularly dark. And I was wondering, in your opinion, what particular dark subjects do you think that Family Guy was able to take a look at, take a humorous perspective at, and kind of make it them easier or more manageable to perceive and to look at? Well, I, I, that's a great question, and I, and I think that uh, Family Guy does do that, and I love that we do that. I think that, you know, we've made allusions to references to 9-11, you know, which is something obviously you, you, you don't hear too many jokes about. Um, we have made, um, we famously made a joke that was actually cut by standards. It was about uh, Pat Tillman. I don't know if you've heard this whole story, but it's a very... It was a very funny uh, scene. Of course, Pat Tillman was the um, football player who joined the U.S. Army and then was killed by friendly fire um, over in, uh, I believe, Afghanistan. And uh, so we we wrote a scene about that where Peter Griffin was in Pat Tillman's platoon, and the platoon leader kept giving the platoon uh, instructions, saying, okay, guys, when I give the word, we're going to take that hill. We're going to sweep the enemy bunker, and we're, you know, we're going to we're going to take take capture this uh, this this city. And every time, all Peter could hear, he says, oh, "Okay, so when you give the word, we're going to shoot Pat Tillman in the head." <laughs> and he said, no, 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 no. We're not we're not shooting Pat Tillman in the head. We're going to take this bunker, sweep the city, and capture the town. Got it. Shoot Pat Tillman in the head. Go and in, you know. So it was very. It was, a really, really funny scene, and ultimately the censors uh, uh, made us uh, take it out. But somehow uh, Pat Tillman's brother um, got a hold of the scene and saw it, and he loved it. He went, he went out of his way to talk to Seth and say, I thought that that was a great way to do it. It was, you know, hilarious. And so I think that's a really good example of how Family Guy can take something that seems impenetrable that it's so dark and 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 make it make it uh, laughable. Okay, there are people that criticize Family Guy, or they tend to say that what you guys are doing is you're, you're perpetually um, imposing immorality in the, on the public airways, or you're trying to to harm and hurt people. Do you feel at any point in right. time that when you do you guys are doing the show that there's any intention to actively uh, hurt or harm another human being, or just you know, to bring anguish to another human being absolutely not you know i think that uh you know those organizations uh that you know there there are many of them um but i think that listen they uh, they need a reason to exist um or else you know they're they're out of a job and so a lot of times family guy is just a convenient target and it's become so easy for them to find anything to criticize in the show. But we know working for it, listen, if you meet Seth and new Seth for any period of time, you'd know he, he does not have a malicious bone in his body. He's got many funny bones in his body and they can sometimes tell, you know, jokes that are on the darker side, but he never wants to hurt people. He, um, you know, has very uh, kind of liberal social views. Uh, you know, he, he, he definitely wants, you know, people to uh, get along. He hates violence. You know, he, it, there's never a, a show where we go into a thing and we want we want to hurt these people or we really want to you know attack these people. And if if we attack anyone, it's only comedic. The Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show has featured several rare and exclusive interviews with some of today's most cutting edge metaphysical teachers. 
I'm very, very thankful that we have this because when you hear our show, you're hearing information and teachings that you're not going to find anywhere else. And a couple of those teachers we're going to present right now, one of them is Mr. Chris Krepsik, metaphysical teacher, who's going to provide a brief analysis on what the meaning of the Force is. Stuart wrote the book, The Force. Can you please explain what the Force is? Is it what they describe as in Star Wars, as this majestic energy field, energy field that surrounds all of us? Or how would you describe the Force? Yeah, it's very much like it's described in um, Star Wars. It's a... It's, um, everywhere it is the life force itself um it's a it's a it's a feeling um but it's also a light and over the years in studying it uh, observing more and more of it it's actually a, a system of what we call fractal codes which is basically information um which are geometrical shapes of light but they contain information like a digital memory it's like a massive storage device. You could call it God. I mean, it is the all-inclusive, eternal, infinite energy field within all things. It is both within inside everything as well as you are within it. So is this force, is this something that how does somebody engage with the force? How do you engage? Is it something that when people say use the power of the, of the force, how do you actually cultivate and utilize the, this, this energy field? That basically comes down to discipline on many different levels. You have to have physical, emotional, mental, uh, philosophical, and spiritual discipline to where you are um, basically learning to expand your own feelings because you are an energy field yourself. You are a life force. And you also have to open yourself to the larger, broader, I call it the celestial force. I don't really like the word God too much because there's too many ideas about what that is. But it is definitely like a celestial force. And the way you align to it is just by being open to it. And that comes down to um, transcending the rigid intellectual opinions within your subconscious mind and your conscious mind. Okay, so could that be through, let's say, for example, never you know taking a belief too seriously, or is it can it come through meditation? Are those some of the ways that you'd be more open to the force? Well, yeah, it's it's not so much about having an idea as much as it is having a feeling. Um, it's the expansion of your own consciousness. You have, and in order to do that, you have to ditch the programming. Everybody's brought into this world, and, and there's a certain amount of programming which gives people a rigid concept of what reality is. But reality is not just the physical plane. You have to align to feeling and expand your own consciousness, which comes down to meditation and certain etheric techniques. But it's mostly just looking at the world with a soft eye. You have to learn to feel your energy and other energies as well as perceive them, um, learn to see them. Um, but it's not all just about seeing because consciousness is a feeling. Another cutting-edge metaphysical teacher and great friend of the show is Mr. Jeff Casper. He One of the shows that stood out in my mind that he did was the show about how to process the human shadow, what the human shadow was about. In addition to Mr. Casper, we actually featured a prominent psychologist, and I implore you to please listen to this. Because this show specifically will help you unlock some of the hidden trauma that you may have. I think it's, we got a tremendous response to it. But here's a brief clip of Mr. Jeff Castro talking about the human shadow. On a metaphysical and a spiritual level, when thinking about the human shadow, what, how are you identify that? Are we talking about emotions that are negative, that are gearing towards um, negativity? Are we talking about an aspect of the human soul that maybe has not been healed or maybe have experienced a trauma from previous lifetimes? What exactly would you define as the human channel from both of your perspectives? All that. The human shadow, it's, it's a pretty broad term, but it's anything that, anything that you hide, anything that makes you defensive, any aspect that could be mental, emotional, typically those are the two major aspects in the ego as well, that, hides who you really are so there's a lot of power in the shadow um, because of what it creates within us and you create coping mechanisms 
emotional outburst, stored emotions. Uh, you mentioned, I think, earlier in the, in the broadcast, guilt, shame. Those are two big ones there, anger, fear, pride. There's tons of emotional aspects in there. Then you throw in the mental aspects, which can be all your defense mechanisms, your your denial, your repression, your uh, suppression, your ability to completely disregard everything and kind of dissociate. So there's lots of aspects to the shadow. And every person, although it's unique, they're very similar also because most people's shadow, once you start digging into it, some pretty common components come up. The difficulty most, with the shadow is that we most most of us are not aware of those aspects. And so a major part of the work in the beginning is to um, even just sort of be willing to look at things that we may unconsciously hide or um, that are hidden. I mean, Carl Jung described it as, you know, like the child that you lock up in the basement. Right. And that is kind of like... Um, you know where this is going it's just the parts of us whether it be through trauma whether it be inherited through karma um or through you know the actions that you've done in your life you know that need redemption but those parts of us that we cannot fully love mm -hmm. that we cannot fully accept about ourselves and that was mr jeff casper and miss yona brindis Another great friend of the Outer Limits of Inner Truth radio show is not even in our physical world. His name is Chung Fu, what we call him Mr. Fu. He is a channeled spirit. He's been teaching on the planet for about 40 years, yet he only wants to come on our show, so it's a great honor. We get along really good with him. He's probably the coolest channeled spirit I've ever met, and here's a clip of our third interview with him this year. And that comes in this idea or this notion that there is something called a reincarnation trap, like the, the idea that we repeatedly reincarnate and that our memory is erased and that we forget all those lessons consciously that we learned in a previous life incarnation. Do you feel that that could actually be detrimental to an evolution because you may have actually gotten a lot of these lessons and then you have a next life and in the meanwhile, your next life is spent trying to figure out a lot of stuff you previously learned? And what I'm really trying to ask is that, is there something called a reincarnation trap? Are we, are we trapped to repeat these cycles until we have one lifetime where we, you know, evolve ourselves so high and that we break out? Peace. Blessings and peace. Yes, I hear your question. No, there cannot be really a trap as such. Uh, there can be uh, deeply ingrained habits and wounds of the soul, of the mind, of the heart that that uh, needs such deep work that you can feel a repetitive nature. I've been here before. I knew this. Why did I have to do this again? I don't want to come back. A kind of dread of return, a feeling of having so many times experienced this, not again. Uh, I, I speak to a lot of beings who, who just are desperate not to come back to the earth because it's in such a state because they don't want to experience this terrible disharmony and conflict ever again. Uh, but no, it's not a trap. It is that you have different purposes, although you might not think so, uh, that it is a wholeness, more like a, a wheel and the spokes of a wheel than a progression. It's not really, oh, I get better and better each time. It's, have I learned this color? Have I experienced this aspect? Am I whole? Have I experienced everything there is in, in this wonderful opportunity of the physical creation? Physical creation is an extraordinary opportunity for the soul's evolution. And on the earth, it is a special, uh, a special nature that this evolution has, uh, particularly centered around the heart and the power of love. There are different places to incarnate and different levels of density uh, in which to incarnate. But in this physical incarnation, it, it is a special um, focus on beauty and love, on peace and harmony. And that is really why sometimes it has to be so-called repeated, because you might have looked at this angle, but not that one. There is so much in fact, to experience. Have you not 
thought of that sometimes yourself. Next life, I'm going to come back and I'm going to be a, you know, a fisherman on the coast of Greece, you know. Next time I'm going to come back, I'm going to be an opera singer in the great opera uh, houses of the world. There is so much to experience, beloved. And so, no, there is no such thing as a trap. Peace. And that was Mr. Fu. If there's one particular show that we did this year where the Outer Limits went to the Outer Limits is when we had the return of Mr. George Kavasilis. If you're listening to this particular show, at one point you're going to wonder where the hell you are, how you got there, and where you're going. It's just the stream of questions that are going to make you question reality and question everything. And I love it. And I love when our shows have that. I think it's a staple mark of the Outer Limits of Inner Truth radio show which is asking questions and exploring deeper consciousness. And here's a quick excerpt of the return of George Kavasilis. Okay, I want to come back to the earthly matrix and the cosmic matrix um, after this one question. And that is that we had a gentleman on our program in 2015. His name was Rich West, and he, he brought up some really interesting point. He talked about soul contracts. He talked about the idea of there being a reincarnation trap, that you don't have to come back. And, you know, we're infinite beings in that we've lived all these different lifetimes. So you probably have yep. already learned the lesson, yep. but they're trying to hold you here. Yep. I want to know what your thoughts are about that. I totally agree. 100% agree with that. Really? Absolutely. That's exactly what's going on. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm in the process of exiting the cosmic arena. And, and you know, that's why the, the first company that I launched was Our Journey Home, because we're going home into ourselves and therefore going home, um, you know, in, to our souls and beyond, to our infinite nature. And now the new company name is I'm Infinite is because we re, when we reconnect with our infinite nature, um, we have the vantage point, the viewpoint, the perspective of the way our lives are constructed here and everything in this universe is a co-created agreement. There is nothing that happens outside of these soul agreements. Even your existence in this universe because um, you projected into this universe from the infinite isness of life, where there is no creator, by the way, because it's infinite. Um, there's no one anything out there, and that really makes it hard for people to grasp. But anyway, um, <laughs> there is the creator of this universe who is a truly outstanding benevolent being, and we have a co-created agreement. The moment we enter into this universe, we're in co-creation with that being. So my soul which is the, the grandest expression of my beingness in this universe and the aspect of me that's one with a creator, uh, is a co-creation. And everything from there on, all my projections into my journey through this universe, um, is a co-creative process, not only with the creator of this universe, but all the other beings. When we create realities, we create them together. And, you know, it, it's such a beautiful interwoven process, a tapestry of life, the amount of love, that has gone into the co-creative process in this universe is unimaginable at this stage because we're also in, inextricably linked to one another through love, through time, through co-created agreements on the soul level. And we create these realities, we go in them and we have all these adventures, you know. We learn so much and then the life cycle of those realities come to an end and we come out and then we go into another one and it's just, so much fun. It just keeps on going. Yeah, and even but beyond I'm, this universe, Ryan, when you go out into well, the infinite nature of life. I can't wait to find out what's beyond the, this universe. Well, what's it like? I mean, have you ever taken a peek out there? I, mean, I think we talked, we touched upon it. You described it, but mm. um, what's a, what is life outside this universe, um, outside the well, physical existence? I have in this lifetime. I, I have had right. a, uh, the opportunity. I reintegrated with my soul, so I've got to – and the soul is the portal to the infinite self – um, and out there, there's all these other universes, and that's what we do. We create these realities, and we go inside them, and so out there, you've got your universe, and you're the creator of that universe, and we're all inside of you learning your expression as a universe. So the construct of your universe is uniquely yours because it's your own universal expression, and therefore, the construct is unique. It's not like this one. This one's called light, because um, it's vibration, it's energy, it's uh, logos, it's the word, it's got all these different labels that people use. Um, 
And it's a universe, this one is waveform, so it's a universe of contrasting expressions. And that was George Kavasilis. We're nearing the end of our program, and we're going to bring on a clip from Daryl Robert Schoon. This gentleman has got a great energy. He's about 75,000 years older than me, yet we get along like drinking buddies. He's just wonderful. Very funny. Offers very great insight. He's like a spiritual metaphysical economist, and we've had him on a couple of our shows. And the one where I think he really stood out was the show where we were talking about predictions for 2016, and he really reemphasized the importance of the events that were coming for this particular year. But he did it in a very humorous-like fashion. So here's a quick clip of Daryl Robert Schoon. Well, you know what? All governments are tyrannical. <laughs> 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 even, even the school you know, boards. Even the school boards. It all has to do with power, and it has to do with police. All right, we've had the benefit of credit, all right, to make us think that the world has been better than it is, and it's basically debt slavery. All right. Now, to address your question, this is what I feel. All right, is that the world of duality has to be seen in the context of unity, of the of the one. All right. The duality came into, into 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 manifestation as the one decided, which is based on love, to manifest in duality. All right. And in the world of duality, good and evil became apparent. You know, you, you got the roots of this in the tree of good and evil in the Bible. All right. And this is what where the world of judgment it is. All right. Now, what is happening is, but it always takes place in the context of unity. At the, on the earth at this time, on the earth plane at this time, I can't, certainly can't speak for anything else, and I barely know only what I do feel I know about this, is that the dark forces are being forced out of the inner planes, out into the outer planes, which is where we live, where our five senses manifest ourselves. Those of us who are, in, who are incarnating now on this planet, all right, live in the world of three dimensions, all right, time and space and physicality. And in that world, you see terror, you see Guantanamo, you see ISIS. I mean, they talk about the terror of ISIS. I mean, that's nothing compared to what shock and awe was in 2003 when we invaded Iraq on the pretense, uh, pretext and pretense of weapons of mass destruction. You know, I mean, it's horrible to take – uh, an aid worker and stick a gun to his head and, and show a video of it. All right? Why? Because we're on the side of the people who, who, who went to, quote, make the world better. All right? We were also on that same side that threw in tonnage and destroyed countries in the Middle East on the pretext that they had weapons of mass destruction that never existed. Where is the parity between shock and awe and ISIS? One thing leads to another. Evil is evil, whether it's done at the hand of the West, the East, Muslims, ag agnostics, atheists, or whatever, bankers, or, you know, <laughs> the lady trying to chisel you out of, you know, the cookies that she yeah. told you she was going to give you. I don't <laughs> care. All right. I mean, evil is evil. But this, this in my opinion, Ryan, it's, it, we're seeing so much of it here because it's being forced out of the inner planes into the open where it's happening. What we have to do is stay true to the, and, and find that part of ourselves that's going to make it through. You can either hold on or let I go. All right? And if you hold on, you're holding on to a world that's going to be. That was Daryl Schoon, whose encouragement and words of wisdom inspired me to get my mother-in-law high. Love you, Daryl. Okay, we're at the end of the program. I want to thank you so much for allowing us to have a banner year, a very second, our second year together. We didn't get a chance to talk about our other shows we did this year, which was a forensic soul analysis on George Carlin. We did an entire special on Gaia. We did an entire special on The Matrix. There's a lot of great shows that you missed, and if you want, you can check them all out by going to our website at OuterLimitsRadio.com. What want to remind you, again, the reason why we do this show and that is to help you to open doors within yourself. This show, this show is about exploring inner truth, the truth that is within, the truth that's out there. I'm not so much concerned about it. It's the truth that's within. This show is also meant to pay homage and respect and tribute to Mr. Stuart Wilde, a teacher to many people on this show. Stuart was relentless about pursuit of the truth, pursuit of inner freedom. And to do anything to help another person to find that within themselves is a great honor. So thank you. Thank you so much. 
many more shows to come, many more years to fill those shows. And until the next time we meet, my friends, wishing upon you an abundance of peace, love, and beers. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can seem intense. Like breakup R&B intense. I thought you said you loved the sweater that I got you. If you didn't, you could have told me. Geico makes it easy. Just go to Geico.com anytime to update or check your policy without all the extra drama. I even had a gift Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen.